0: Times change, don't they? Fifteen years ago this morning, uh, life changed for all of us. And I'm sure every person here in this room, every person certainly over the age of 20 or 25, remembers that morning on September 11, where you were, what you were doing, how you heard about the tragedies uh, brought upon our nation that morning. I know that for me personally, I remember where I was. I was working, uh, doing ministry actually in Oklahoma, in Ponca City, Oklahoma. I remember uh, how I found out that morning. I was on the phone. I was making a call to another area pastor, and as his secretary uh, was trying to send me over uh, to his line to talk to him, she put me on hold and she said, hold on just a second. I think uh, our country has been attacked at the World Trade Center. It's the first information that I heard and I uh, never spoke with that pastor, but quickly uh, turned on my TV and began to watch as the morning unfolded. Nearly 3,000 Americans died that morning 15 years ago in a tragedy that will forever be etched in our national memory called 9/ 11. At 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. At 9.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. At 9.37, hijackers aboard Flight 77 fly into the western facade of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., at 9.42 a.m., for the first time in history, the FAA grounded all flights in the continental U.S. Over 3,300 commercial flights and about 1,200 private planes were grounded over the next two hours. At 9.59 a.m., the South Tower collapsed, as many of us watched on live television. At 10.07 a.m., passengers and crew members aboard the hijacked Flight 93 sought to make an attempt to retake the plane, and in response, the hijackers deliberately crashed the plane into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, killing all 40 passengers and the crew aboard. At 10.28 a.m., the World Trade Center's north tower collapsed 102 minutes after being struck by Flight 11. As I watched these... uh, Things unfold before my eyes on TV as I, as I was watching some uh, sort of movie or something. I uh, thought about my friends who were living in New York City at the time and, and wondering and, 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 and just agonizing uh, how they might be and where they might be, where they might have been that morning. Were they okay? One, I had actually emailed a couple days prior to 9-11. I continued to watch the news and really nothing else happened that day other than taking this in and, and, and watching it as I later, a couple hours later after lunchtime, went to my computer to check my, to check my email. I realized that I had a return, I had a reply from my friend in New York that I had written a few days later and I read his email and he said, basically, we're all good, loving New York City here, uh, enjoying the job, the kids are adjusting and all is good with us. And I looked at the timestamp on the email that my friend had sent me, and the timestamp said 8:37 a.m. Just moments before the world changed. All is good. Everything's good. We're okay. Everything is good, and then everything changed. I know some in our congregation here this morning were there in New York City. 15 years ago as these things happened, and they have their stories as well. The world changed, and for us, not only nationally, but even personally in our lives, times change, and, and we wake up one morning to see that the world and our world is different than it was just the day before or just minutes before times change. The world changes, not always for bad, not always for ill, but times change. I remember uh, as a teenager when we first got, we got our first home computer and we were connected to the internet, dial up to, you know, telephone, dial up internet. And I remember as a teenager showing my grandpa who was at the time uh, probably 75 years old or so. And I remember, you know, Moving the mouse around and showing him all these websites, and I remember just very clearly watching him shake his head in bewilderment of like, "Oh my goodness, who? Would, I never would have thought." Amazing times change, not always for the bad, but times are always changing. The only thing constant is change, right? But sometimes things do uh, tend to change for the worse it feels. And and even as we look in our culture today, where we sit this morning, we see that there is great change and concerning change as we think about our context this morning. We look out into our world at the intense racial division and animosity in our country and I think, why? What has... I, I thought we were making progress. We haven't. We haven't made progress. We're still divided by our color. We think about the ongoing onslaught of terrorism in our world and the fact that we can't even vacation on the beach of France without fear of another attack, of another assault on our freedom and innocent lives. You think about the continuing sexual revolution that goes on and doesn't seem to stop at one thing but to move on to the next thing that can be redefined or perverted. We look at the deep, the deep, very deep political division in our culture, in our nation, and the absolute, in my opinion, dearth of good national leadership. It's gone through a, a painful, an embarrassing political primary time in which we now have two Candidates who, at the very best, have questionable characters, in my opinion, and in my personal opinion, are an embarrassment to our nation's history of diplomats and ambassadors and statesmen. This is where we are. It was 20 years ago this year in 1996 that uh, the commentator and Judge Robert Bork wrote a provocative book with the title called Slouching Towards Gomorrah about the state of our nation. And on a personal level, it was just this summer that this hit me just in the revolution that we live in and the way things have changed. As I was with my kids and some neighbor kids, we had gone to a new park around our neighborhood. And as we were there, it was needed to be bathroom time and we needed to get some slushies, but there were no bathrooms there. So we headed to the nearest convenience store, and we got out, and we got some slushies, and we went to the bathroom. And as we went back to the bathroom, my six-year-old son and I, as we were coming out of the bathroom, I noticed right at eye level for a six-year-old boy was a rack of magazines with the latest edition of Sports sports illustrated swimsuit edition right there at eye level for my six-year-old as he walked by and i'll never forget watching my six-year-old the back of his head as he turned and saw that and then stopped and i thought right here in our face five feet from the bathroom uncovered exposed and so it begins Larry Osborne, who I've borrowed the title of this series from, Larry Osborne writes this. He says, We live in a world gone haywire. Our moral fabric seems to be decaying at breakneck speed. Things that were once shamefully hidden are now publicly celebrated. The previously unimaginable has become commonplace. In a few short decades, our culture's response to Bible-believing Christians has gone from grudging respect to a patronizing pat on the head to a marginalizing indifference, to outright hostility. It's not just the culture around us and the things that we deal with at a national level, but times change and we're faced with those moments that divide time, even just personally in our lives, where life will never again be the same. It could be for you in this room, it could be that doctor appointment that you went to. And you received news, it's cancer. For others, it could be that dividing point, that that time when life changed, when time changed. It could be that time you walked into work like any other day at work. You walked in thinking that it was just going to be a normal, typical day. But you were met as you got to work with terminations, layoffs, and life changed. For for others of us, it could be that time, perhaps as a young child or a teenager or coming home from college, that your parents sat you down and they used that word divorce. And times changed. Life changed. Times change. And for the Old Testament prophet Daniel... Life changed for him. Times changed for him in 586 B.C. as he was living in Jerusalem when foreign occupiers Babylon came and and destroyed his city and deported many of his friends as well as Daniel back to enemy territory where they would go uh, and be captive to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's Daniel's story and we're just going to give it an overview this morning if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. This was Daniel's 9-11 moment, so to speak. Daniel comes from a royal line among the nation of Israel. He uh, was taken captive. He was deported and put in the, in the uh, employment of the king because he, was, he had high capacity. He was learned, he had potential, he was good looking, he had smarts, he had position, and it was King Nebuchadnezzar at the time who wanted to put Daniel and his friends in service in Babylon, and he basically wanted to Babylonianize them. He wanted to teach them about the occult and and enchantment and uh, enchanting and things like this, and so he educated them in the ways of the Babylonians, hoping that they would uh, work for him in his kingdom Jerusalem was the it was the city of God it was the capital it was the city in which great kings like David had reigned but now through Israel's disobedience and their unfaithfulness to God now they are faced not only with the decline of their kingdom but their capital being plundered and destroyed and burned to the ground and Daniel and many others probably 10,000 of a royal court deported to Babylon. I think we have a map here that shows kind of the ancient world at this time. Jerusalem over here, where Daniel and his friends were, and then deported over to Babylon here, which is kind of modern-day Iran, Iraq. Iraq. Taken from their homeland, taken to enemy occupied territory, raised or or educated in the ways of pagans, educated in the ways of their enemy, working under the leadership of this evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was powerful, who was proud, who was ruthless. Historians tell us that at the ruins of of Babylon, they find that 90% of the bricks and 90% of the architecture that was done there, all the bricks had, had Nebuchadnezzar's name written on every individual brick. Later in our book, he would say, is this not the kingdom that I have built? He was proud. He was evil. At one point in our story, we'll see that he asked those who those who live in Babylon, those who work for him, to bow down and worship a statue that had been built of himself. This is a wicked guy. This is the most powerful guy in the ancient Near Eastern world at this time that Daniel, in God's providence, goes and works for. And boy, if you think Hillary or the Donald are bad, they don't hold a candle to King Nebuchadnezzar. None of our candidates yet are asking us to worship them. Nebuchadnezzar was the worst. And Daniel is deported and becomes an employee, becomes a a servant of King Nebuchadnezzar. Times changed. Life changed for Daniel. But how does he respond? How does he live in these times? Well, the answer comes in chapter 6 of Daniel. The first six chapters of Daniel are kind of the narrative part of Daniel's book. The last six chapters are more the prophetic or apocalyptic parts of the book of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 6, as a bookend to, to Daniel's story, we read these words about how Daniel not only survived, but thrived during his time in Babylon. Chapter 6, verse 28 says this, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Underline that word, prospered. And this is at the end of his life. He had served under Nebuchadnezzar, but then Nebuchadnezzar had been defeated. And so not only did Daniel serve during this this reign of evil King Nebuchadnezzar, he also uh, served during uh, the reign of Darius And this Persian king named Cyrus who would later allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. But in this massively evil foreign land, Daniel finds himself placed there and not only survives but thrives and prospers. And as I did that opening introduction that's heavy and talks about the weight of where we are nationally and politically and and even geopolitically in our world. That was not meant to bring you down. It's actually meant to let you know this is bad, but it's always been this way for God's people, predominantly. Daniel lived in wicked days under wicked rulers, and yet In all the chaos, in all the evil, in all the the false religion, Daniel was able to prosper, to thrive. And I think the book of Daniel and Daniel's life and God's work through Daniel's life is a great picture for us today in 2016. Not to cower and cocoon away from the world and certainly not to be conformed to the pagan evil empire or world's. But to be sovereignly placed and faithfully pursuing our God, not compromising His standards, but living where God has sovereignly placed us for His glory, for His purposes. How do we prosper in these times? How do we not only survive, but thrive? That's what we're going to look at in this six-week series I wrote down here in my notes, times change, but God doesn't change, and his plans remain the same. Times change, but God doesn't change, and his plans remain the same. And his plan for you and I is to bloom where we've been planted. To be faithful where we find ourselves right now in this time and this place. And Daniel's a great backdrop in which to consider that opportunity as we go through these six weeks, we're going we're gonna to really hone in on basically three aspects of Daniel's character that enabled him to prosper, that enabled him to thrive in hard times and difficult days. And those three characteristics are these, hope, humility, and wisdom. Hope, humility, and wisdom. And we're just going to go through these briefly here this morning and then look at them in more detail in the weeks to come. But first of all, Hope. Daniel, in the midst of these dire days, in the midst of these difficult times, has a hope. And we see part of the the hint, part of the rationale for his hope in uh, verse two of Daniel chapter one. Read along with me here, Daniel chapter one, verses one and two. This is the moment that Daniel's life changed. Verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 586 BC, this is the turning point. They had been attacked by Babylon in 605. There had been ongoing hostility and battles. But it was in 586, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that Jerusalem Is besieged and destroyed. In verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed them and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. What he's telling us here in verse 2 is that not only was Jerusalem besieged, but as it was besieged, they took some of the expensive things out of, the, out of God's temple, and they, they stole them, and they took them back to Babylon, and they put them in their pagan temples. But you see the hint. You see the, the words here, the, the aspect of hope that Daniel had right here in verse 2, because if you look at the first few words of verse 2, what does it say? It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Into his hand. Now, Daniel's not writing this at the moment it happened. He's writing it later. But as he he looks back upon this evil, as he looks back upon this disaster, how does he interpret it according to verse 2? He says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. See, Daniel has this high view of God's sovereignty. Yeah, we've been attacked by a a power more evil than us, Daniel says, but yet still I know that my God is faithful, and still I know that my God is sovereign. And he could have stopped it, but he chose not to. He says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. I don't know, but the only way I know to have hope in dark times... Is to have the confidence that Daniel had that in the midst of the chaos, there still is a God who is in control and sovereign. As bad as it looks, as hard as it is, as evil, as, as evil as it is, there is still a sovereign God on his throne, and he has not turned a blind eye to what happened. He's sovereign even over it, even when it's difficult, and that gives Daniel an unshakable hope. Not to cower, not to give in, not to become cynical about what was happening in his nation, but to serve faithfully, faithfully because he had this great hope that even in this mess, God was still sovereign and God was going to move throughout it and eventually redeem it and work it out for good. See, Daniel knew, as Larry Osborne has, says, has said, that God's in control of who's in control. Ultimately, God is in control of who is in control, and that should make us not fearful about the months and years to come, but that should give us faith and hope that we can trust God even though it seems like a disaster. Daniel knew that the power of Babylon paled in comparison to the power of God. That sure, Babylon could come, it could destroy our country, but guess what? Babylon would be destroyed in years to come. Babylon, it was, it, was the, it was the superpower of its day. No one could compete with them for years. And then what happened? They get defeated. And then Persia becomes strong. And then what happens? They get defeated by Alexander the, the Great, and the Greeks control the world. But then what happens? The Romans defeat the Greeks, and then the Romans rule the world. And where's the great... Roman Empire today, it's nothing. Daniel had confidence, Daniel had hope because he knew that God's in control of who's in control. And therefore, we can look out of the world and we can think back to 15 years and we can grieve, but we don't grieve with hope and we have a confidence that God is still in control and his word is sure. And his word we can bank on, look, Daniel knows this if you flip over to chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. These are Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. These are some to highlight this election year, 2016. Daniel answered. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. He's kind of praying back to God. He's praising God here. And Daniel uh, sings or prays this. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And check out verse 21, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things, he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. What is he praising God about? What is he singing here? What is he blessing God with? A confidence that God's in control. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Does this mean we throw up our hands and don't vote, or don't care anymore, God's gonna do what God's gonna do? no. He still works through human responsibility. But ultimately, God is still sovereign over whatever happens, even if it doesn't seem right to us. Daniel also had this hope because he knew his hope wasn't in his kingdom, wasn't in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't in the hope of any human kingdom, but his hope was in the kingdom of God. If you look at verse 44, of chapter 2. Read along with me in verse 44. It says this, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. He's had a vision of the kingdoms to come, but Daniel interprets the, the dream, the kingdoms that are to come. He, the conclusion of it is this, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. What is he saying? Babylon may rise, fall. Persia, the Medes may rise, fall. The Greeks may rise, fall. Rome may rise, fall. America may rise, fall. But there is a kingdom that Daniel had his hope in, and it was a kingdom of God. And therefore, he didn't fear everything that happened. He didn't throw up his hands cynically and give up, but he stayed faithful where he was. Not only hope, but Daniel also teaches us that in these difficult times, he had an incredible amount of humility. An incredible amount of humility. uh, humility. Think about it. Here's a guy that's in the upper echelon of his class. He's of a royal family. He's deported because he's a good-looking, wise, uh, able, capable person. He's got high capacity, and Nebuchadnezzar is gonna use him in his kingdom. And he's able to interpret dreams. He's not, he's not only able to interpret the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar has, but Nebuchadnezzar gave him a test. He said, if you can interpret my dream first, tell me what the dream was. You find this in the chapters to come. He says, not only do I want someone to interpret my dream, but so I know that they're legit. I'm not even going to tell them what the dream is. They have to tell me what I dreamed. I dreamt. What's the proper? Whatever. Past tense of dream. He has to tell me what the dream was. See how I did that there? He has to tell me what the dream was and its interpretation. And Daniel's able to do it. He's capable. He has high capacity. He's gifted from sovereign God on high. He can interpret dreams. And for someone like that, with that kind of capacity, with that influence in the kingdom, he becomes kind of a governor of all the other uh, people in the kingdom. With that kind of influence, you would think, hey, Daniel has got all the right in the world to be proud. But yet what we see throughout this story is that not only is Daniel high capacity, but Daniel is high humility. He doesn't have an edge about him. And even when he talks to this evil king, he talks to him with deep respect. Why? Because Daniel knows that every person that God's created is an image bearer of God. And so he treats them with respect. And the gifts that Daniel has received, his, his good looks, his high capacity, even the position he has in the kingdom of Babylon is ultimately given to him by God. He didn't get there by himself. God did it. Amen. And so he's not puffed up. He's humble. He's risen to the top, but he's remained grounded. He has high gifts and high influence, but great respect even for a pagan king he gets dreams and visions, but the dreams and visions don't puff him up. Some of you probably remember a guy in the Old Testament back in Genesis. He got some dreams too. His name was Joseph. And he started spouting those dreams off, and it caused a bit of a controversy in his family. And his brothers were so mad at him, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to Egypt. He was proud with his dreams. Right here in Daniel, what you have is not a proud person, but you have a humble servant of God that knows it's the grace of God that he's gotten where he is. Not his merit, not his capacity, not his great learning, but it's a sovereign work of God, and therefore he remains humble. And I just have to say that in the context that we live in in 2016, one of the things that is not going to serve us well in the years ahead as we try to... Influence our community as we try to influence our world. We can't be proud. We have to enter these dialogues. We have to love our neighbors. We have to work with our co workers who have different values, not with pride, but with a humility that respects other image bearers of God. That says, Yeah, I, I have some truth, but it's not because I'm so smart and I figured it out. It's because God's revealed it to me by His grace. I got nothing on you. We're all sinners. But God, in his grace, has opened my eyes and revealed the truth to me, so I have this hope. And that hope doesn't puff me up, but it humbles me, and it gives me a compassion to share that hope and humility with others. Not only was Daniel a person of hope and humility, but he was also a person of wisdom. And we'll look at this in great detail over the course of two weeks. But Daniel's wise. Daniel knows how to, how to mediate matters. He knows when to put his foot down and he knows when to keep his mouth shut, so to speak. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 1, they, Daniel and his friends uh, are brought into the king's court and they're educated and they're going to be tested. But if you look at, uh, is it verse 8? No, yeah, verse 8. I think I may have said verse 9. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 1, it says Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. What's going on here? Well, right here in verses 8 and 9, Daniel's drawing a line. He's putting his foot down. He say, you know what? God's revealed some things to me. One of them is about my diet and what I'm supposed to eat and what's clean food and, and what's not. And, and, and it would go against my conscience and against my God to eat this stuff. So he doesn't demand his way. If you look in verse 9 or verse 8, it says he asked, he didn't demand, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. With great respect, he said, this is a line I can't cross. And so he didn't cross that line. But there's some other things where we see Daniel use some wisdom to say, you know what, I'm living in a pagan culture, I'm working for a pagan king, and I can't die on every hill. I can't draw the lines every, every time I meet with a guy. So Daniel is actually given a, a new Babylonian name. Nebuchadnezzar renames him. And Daniel accepts the name. Even though it's a name after a Babylonian god. There's no indication that Daniel throws a fit about his name being changed. But when it comes to what he's going to eat... He draws a line and says, I can do this, but I can't do that. It would be nice if God would you know, give us two tablets of stone as we go to work or we navigate our kids going to school to say, hey, here's what you need to do. This is what you need to not do. But most of the time, what God does is, uh, instead is say, I want to develop your wisdom to know when to draw the line and know when to keep your mouth shut when there's, there's something that you can do in good conscience and when there's something that you absolutely cannot do. And one of the things that Daniel learns apparently is that not everything he dislikes is necessarily against what God has said. Not everything that I really dislike in my job or in my neighborhood or at my kid's school is necessarily something that God has forbid. So I have to use wisdom by which to navigate what hills am I gonna die on and what things am I gonna let go. And Daniel resolved himself and he had this great capacity and wisdom to live as a believer, surrounded by pagans for a pagan king and navigate, hey, when do I give? And when do I draw a line? Man, we need that. Daniel, not only, Daniel neither conformed to Babylonian life nor cocooned himself and isolated himself from the greater culture. But he walked this line of wisdom where God had put him. You follow me? We're talking a lot about Daniel this morning, and we will be throughout this series, but it's important to remember, uh, Daniel didn't do this by himself. He wasn't the only guy remaining faithful in Babylon. In fact, most of you know, probably heard that story as a kid about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were faithful with him. So what you need to also remember is, is Daniel's not going at this alone, okay? When, you, when, when we go out in the world, we, we can't do it alone. We have to have some sidekicks. We have to have a community of support. We have to pray for one another. If we go out here all by ourselves at work or all, send our kids to school all by themselves without the support, we might get out of the starting blocks, but pretty soon we're going to get down the road and we're going to stumble and fall or we're not going to be able to run very far if we don't have a community of faith to love and support and work through these things with and wisdom, right? So Daniel wasn't going at this alone. He, 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 he wasn't going at it alone, but he also was a minority, And guess what? You and I are a minority in a pagan culture. In a post Christian culture, you and I are walking as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a pagan culture. Not hopefully by ourselves. I hope you have the fellowship of other believers. But we're a minority. But, folks, in most of the history, or maybe I should say all the history of the Christian church, we've been a minority. And it's actually when we become a majority that our faith actually kind of starts to get watered down and go to seed. When when Christianity gets in with power, it loses its distinctiveness. But when there's a minority of faithful people who know when to draw a line and know when to give grace and say, that's not a hill I'm going to die on, God uses that faithful minority in huge ways. Daniel was not alone, but he was a faithful minority. Daniel was put in his place at that time by the sovereign hand of God for God's purposes. And can we not say the same thing for you and me? that we have been placed here at this time and this place by the sovereign hand of God for his purposes. Right now, no matter what it feels like around you, this is our time. This is our place. We can't be Christians back in 586 BC with Daniel. We can't go back in a time machine to the first century and be a Christian in the early church. The only place we can be a faithful Christian is right here and right now. We can't Return to Mayberry. We can't go back to the 50s. We're not in Kansas anymore. All that has changed. The only place we can live as a faithful Christian is right here and right now as a faithful minority. And folks, that's exciting. God has placed us in this place at this time for his purposes to represent him. With hope, with humility, and with wisdom to make a difference in this world. This is the place, this is the time to be faithful. And we make a difference in the world by being different. Like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach, like Abednego. This is where we are. Times have changed, but God has not changed. And his plan remains the same for you and I to be his ambassadors, for you and I to be his representatives, for you and I to be his missionaries and ministers in times of darkness. As we remember this morning an awful day in our nation's history, and we grieve it, we remember also this morning Our sovereign God, our sovereign God who sent his son Jesus to this dark and broken world to pay for our sins, to go to the cross and forgive us of our sins so that we could could be reconciled to him. And Jesus, before he went to the cross, he gave his followers a reminder, the Lord's table, He said, Do this in remembrance of me. And as we come to the table this morning, we remember. We we remember not only what Jesus has done for us, but we also remember what Jesus has promised for us. Listen to these words of Jesus at the Last Supper, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, he says this. In verse uh, 29, actually. Verse 27, as he took the cup and when he had given... Oh, I'm sorry, go back. Uh, Verse 27. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And check out verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Daniel, his hope wasn't in a kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't in a kingdom of Cyrus. His hope was in a kingdom of God. And Jesus, as he gave us this meal says, remember me, and remember that I'm bringing a perfect kingdom to come. You pray with me? Father God, we look out at our world, and we are so often disappointed and bothered by the the kingdoms of this world, and we thank you for this reminder through Daniel that you are still in control And that we are still called to live differently and to make a difference in this dark world. And Jesus, we thank you that though you loved this world, you spoke against it. You loved it so much that you challenged its values. We thank you, Jesus, that your love is both tender and tough. We pray, Holy Spirit, for you to help us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray, Holy Spirit, help us to walk with hope, with humility, and with wisdom to be different and thus make a difference in this world. We ask it all in the name of the one who has made all the difference in our lives. In the beautiful name of Jesus.